Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Luke 18, verses 9 through 17. I'll go ahead and remain seated. I'll read these for us. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them, and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them and uh, called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Father, now we pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, give us insight, give us wisdom as we seek to study uh, this important text in Scripture. Uh, help us uh, to grasp better what it means to be a part of your kingdom as a result of this time in your word this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, we are continuing our journey with Jesus through the book of Luke, and we find ourselves in the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel this morning. And as we've seen over and over uh, throughout our study of Jesus' life and teaching, the kingdom of God is once again uh, the main theme of this uh, text. Uh, after I finished preaching last Sunday, I had somebody ask me a very perceptive question, and I figure that if uh, he was wondering it, probably other people were as well. The question was, what is the difference, uh, if any, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? Uh, and the short answer to that is nothing. Uh, the New Testament seems to use these two terms interchangeably to refer to the same thing, namely the rule of Jesus over his people. Uh, let me show you just a couple of texts on this. Matthew 19, verse 23 Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, next week, by the way, we'll be covering this account in Luke 18 about the rich young ruler. Uh, so I'll save my comments about that uh, for later. But notice verse 23 that Jesus says, kingdom of heaven, verse 24, he says kingdom of God and seems to be referring to the same thing. And if you want to know what this kingdom means, uh, verse 25 of the very same text, when the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Okay, so being a part of God's kingdom is synonymous with what we commonly talk about today as salvation. Uh, those who live in submission to Christ are subjects in his kingdom. Uh, if Jesus is your king, then you are a part of the kingdom of God. And these same ones who are living for Jesus now will also be those who have eternal life with God uh, when Jesus returns. And so if you're a part of the kingdom of God now, you'll be a part of the kingdom in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, 
It simply refers to those who allow Jesus to rule in their lives. It's the same kingdom. Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven seems to be used interchangeably. In fact, if you, look, if you just glance down to verse 17 of our text, you'll notice Jesus says to uh, receive the kingdom of God like a little child. In the very same passage in Matthew and Mark's gospel, it says kingdom of heaven. And so it seems that Jesus uses these two terms to refer to the same kingdom. The kingdom, as we have seen, is the main theme of Jesus' preaching. Uh, everywhere that Jesus went throughout Israel preaching, uh, he was saying, I am here to establish my kingdom, and anyone who would turn from their sins and follow Christ would be forgiven. It would become a part of his kingdom. Uh, there was a clear line drawn in the sand. You were either in the kingdom or you were out. Uh, you either had your sins forgiven or you didn't. And this morning's parable shows us an important lesson as we think about the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of sins. This is something that we have to get right. And, the reality, and, and this, this lesson uh, really is a, a major dividing line between true Christianity and false religion. If you want to know what's the difference uh, between Jesus' teachings and every other world religion, uh, this is it. Jesus taught that you cannot earn eternal life. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough good works to make up for your sin. If you're going to make it into God's kingdom, it is not going to be because of anything that you or I did. False religion teaches that you earn forgiveness by your works, that you do enough good things, your good works outweigh your bad works, however you want to phrase it. Basically, that you earn God's favor by your deeds, by your works. Those who live moral lives, good people, those are the ones who enter God's kingdom. That's what religion says. Jesus says, you cannot earn salvation apart from God's grace. Those who enter the kingdom are those who recognize their sin and simply turn to Christ in desperation. And perhaps nowhere in all of Jesus' teaching is this foundational truth seen more clearly than right here in Luke 18. Beginning in verse 9, it says, He, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now notice here again, just like last week, that Luke clues us in uh, to the intent of the parable before he gives it to us. Uh, Jesus is directing this story to some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. Uh, these are the religious people, the devout Jews of Jesus' day. Uh, they kept the laws of the Old Testament. They were zealous about their religion. And notice it says they treated others with contempt, meaning they despised others. Uh, these were the good people, and anybody who didn't live up to their standard of life were the bad people. They were looked down upon. And so this is the crowd that Jesus directs this parable against. And here's what he has to say to them. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Uh, in the next few verses, we'll see two men offering two prayers, and they have two very different results. The first man is a Pharisee. Uh, we've spent quite a bit of time in our study of Luke talking about the Pharisees. They show up frequently throughout the Gospels. These are the group of hyper-religious Jews. Pharisee, as you remember, means separated ones. Uh, these are the ones that consider themselves to be the upper echelon of society. They were the uh, devout, God-fearing people and the most holy, zealous about their rules and religion. Uh, they observed the Sabbath very strictly. They were fastidious about not breaking any of the 611 laws in the Old Testament. In fact, they were so pious that they added plenty more laws to the ones that are in Scripture just so they could keep them. And the common people of Jesus' day would have looked at these Pharisees with great respect. Uh, these were the most holy and righteous people imaginable. So that's the first man. The first man in the parable is a Pharisee. The second man is a tax collector. 
And once again, uh, these tax collectors have been brought up frequently in Luke's gospel, but just a quick reminder for you, these are some of the most hated men in Israel. The Romans had conquered Israel along with many other countries really all around them. And throughout the entire Roman Empire, they had placed soldiers to keep the people from revolting and taking back their land. And an army of that magnitude uh, had a cost, of course, and the way it was paid for was by enforcing a tax on the people. And so the Jews living in Israel were paying taxes to pay the salaries of the soldiers who were keeping them in bondage. The tax collectors were considered traitors. Uh, they were the Jews who had contracted with the Roman government to collect taxes from their neighbors and give the money to Rome. Uh, everyone hated tax collectors, and there wasn't much you could do about it since they had the Roman army, the soldiers there to protect them and to enforce their taxes. To make matters worse, uh, the tax collectors were known to overcharge people and pocket the difference. We're going to meet one of these tax collectors named Zacchaeus in the very next chapter of Luke, uh, and we're told there that he became rich by ripping off his fellow countrymen. This was a common practice of tax collectors. And so it's understandable why tax collectors would be hated so much. They were thieves, uh, they were traitors to their people, and they were serving the occupying Romans. And so tax collectors were so looked down upon, in fact, their testimony wasn't even allowed in court. They were basically not even considered uh, people because they were hated so much. And so you have these two men. They could not be any more different from each other. You have a Pharisee, an upstanding, moral, godly, religious person, and then you have a tax collector. And the contrast, of course, is Jesus' point. Here is one man that by human standards was a righteous and godly person, and here's another man that was the scum of the earth. Now, Jesus tells us that these two men went up to, the, to uh, pray at the temple. Uh, this would have been during one of the two times each day when people would pray as incense was being offered at the temple. This was a regular practice in Israel. Verse 11, we see the content of their prayers. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So basically he prays and says, God, thank you for what a great guy I am. Now, I'm not sure what he's thanking God for uh, since he's just talking about himself here, but you can see that the point here isn't really for God's sake, but for everybody else. He wants everybody around him to hear uh, what a great guy he is. He wants them to know that he fasts twice a week, that he gives tithes of all of his income. Uh, this seems to have been, by the way, a, a common practice of these religious Pharisees, that they would pray publicly uh, where they could be seen and heard and pray these long, uh, eloquent prayers about their own goodness to impress everybody else. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6, when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. And if you go on in that text, Jesus tells his disciples, don't be like that. Instead, you go and pray in your closet. Shut the door. Pray in secret to God. These Pharisees would stand. They would pray publicly in order to impress others. And that's exactly what we see here in our parable. Uh, the, the guy is just listing off some of his good works in order to showcase to everybody around him, how great he is, and also how bad the tax collector is. Notice back in verse 11, the Pharisee says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
So he's not content just to show off his morality. He also has to put down the tax collector while he's at it, because after all, the more you can put down others, the better you yourself look. And so this Pharisee is trusting in himself that he is righteous and treating the tax collector with contempt. Uh, just a little footnote there in verse 11 where it says that the, he was standing by himself and praying. Uh, that There's a question about how to translate that in Greek. The Greek language is interesting. They just kind of rearrange words in different orders, and it, you don't always know what it's referring to. It's not like English in that way. It, it could be translated, the Pharisee uh, stood and prayed to himself. And if your Bible says that, that, that is a perfectly accurate translation. We're not sure exactly which one it is. But certainly God was not listening to this prayer, uh, and this prayer was not even intended to be made to God. He was just showing off his righteousness. Verse 13, notice the prayer of the tax collector. And again, it could not be any more different. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee stands, uh, no doubt, standing up, letting everybody hear. The tax collector comes with his head bowed, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And the, the Pharisee, uh, throughout his prayer, is listing off his good moral attributes, showing off his righteousness. The tax collector simply cries out for mercy. He comes in total humility. He has nothing to prove. He has nothing to showcase. He knows that he's a sinner. He understands that he deserves the judgment of God, and so he simply begs for mercy. Now notice the conclusion that Jesus gives in verse 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this would have been a shock to anybody listening. Uh, the tax collector being justified, uh, he was forgiven. To be justified simply means that God has declared someone is righteous. And Jesus says that this tax collector, regardless of his past, regardless of all of his uh, moral failures, this man has been declared righteous by God simply because of this humble prayer for mercy. And not only that, that would have been surprising enough, but he goes on to say this man was justified and not the other. The Pharisee was not justified. He will face God's judgment eternally, whereas the tax collector will be welcomed into God's kingdom. Now, we need to remind ourselves of that first verse before the parable again, because this sets the direction and it provides the point that Jesus is trying to get across with this story, verse 9, he says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The Pharisee in the story assumed that he was good with God because of his religious observance and his moral lifestyle. He was trusting in himself that he was righteous. And surely if anyone could make it to God's kingdom, it would be somebody like this. Uh, you can't find anybody who follows the rules more closely than the Pharisees. And truly, if you could earn your way to God's kingdom by doing good or not doing evil, this guy probably would have made it. But that's just the point. It isn't that this guy didn't make it far enough down the road. It's that he was on the wrong road to begin with. God is not impressed with your good works. And no matter what good things you do, it will never make up for your sin. Just like in a court of law, a judge is not going to let a murderer off uh, simply because he did other good things. He may have given to charity, he may have helped all sorts of people, but none of that absolves his crime. Sin must be punished if God is just. And the problem with a lot of religious people is that they compare themselves to others. Uh, we think that if we're better than most people, if we're above average, then we're okay with God. 
But God doesn't grave it on a curve. His standard is perfection. Romans 3.23, Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us is a sinner, and because of our sin, we have fallen infinitely short of God's standard of perfection. It would be like if we were to have a swimming contest, uh, and the goal was Hawaii. Okay, we all have to try to swim to Hawaii. Well, you might make it a little further than me, but at the end of the day, all of us are going to fall miserably short. The Pharisee, by any human standard, was a better person than this tax collector. But that is totally irrelevant since they are both sinners. They both failed the test of perfect righteousness. Now, the tax collector maybe only made it a few feet in that swimming contest. The Pharisee perhaps made it miles, but none of them made it to Hawaii. So then the question is, who can be saved? Who can enter God's kingdom if no sinner is allowed in? How is it that any of us can have our sins forgiven if it's impossible to be good enough to earn God's favor? And the answer, of course, is right in our text. The, the tax collector goes home justified, forgiven, because unlike the Pharisee, he wasn't trusting in his own righteousness. He was falling into the merciful arms of God. The Pharisee and the tax collector were in reality both sinners in need of mercy. But only one of them recognized that need and asked God for mercy. The Pharisee thought he was good enough and he didn't need God. He was trusting in himself that he was righteous. The tax collector knew that he was a sinner. Two very different men, two very different prayers, two eternally different outcomes. One is forgiven, the other is not. One enters God's kingdom, the other will face God's judgment, and it has nothing to do with who was better. Neither earned it. Uh, like the illustration I just gave about swimming to Hawaii, the Pharisee thought he could make it because he was such a great swimmer. The tax collector knew he had no chance, and so he jumped on a boat. Uh, who's going to make it? Who's going to make it to God's kingdom? Not the one who tries to get there by their own efforts. Only the one who accepts the free offer of the gospel can enter God's kingdom. It's only by the grace of God. Let's look briefly at these next three verses before we conclude. Verse 15 says, They were bringing infants to him that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, don't be confused here. Jesus is not saying that children are all a part of God's kingdom. They don't sin. Uh, they don't need to be forgiven. Any of you that have raised kids know that children sin from the earliest of ages. Uh, Jesus is simply making a comparison here that becomes more clear in the next verse. Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so these little babies are an object lesson of what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. You're a sinner and needs of, in need of God's grace. You and I are completely helpless to earn God's forgiveness, just like a little infant. We can do nothing on our own. We are completely dependent on someone else. In our case, we are completely dependent on God for our justification. Of course, in the case of an infant, notice the word there. It's not just a little kid. It's baby, uh, infant. Uh, when you bring a baby home from the hospital, that baby can do nothing on their own. They are completely dependent on someone else. And in the same way, for our justification, we are completely dependent on God's grace. There is no way to enter God's kingdom apart from the grace of God. And you see, in all of this, it's really a matter of faith. Who are you trusting? The Pharisee trusted in himself that he was righteous. The tax collector knew that he could not trust in his own goodness, and so he trusted in God's mercy to save him. And like a child, Jesus says, we need to be humble enough 
to stop trying to earn our way to God's kingdom and instead simply receive it by faith. Jesus uses the child again in Matthew 18 to illustrate this very same point. Uh, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Again, they're, they're thinking in terms of human accomplishment. Uh, how can we get the highest position in your kingdom? What good works can we do? And Jesus says in verse 2, he calls a child to him, he puts him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Forget having a high position, you won't even make it through the gates unless you turn and become like children. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It takes humility to enter God's kingdom because the first step is admitting that you cannot make it on the basis of your good works. It is only then, after you come to God like the tax collector and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I cannot earn my way into your kingdom, but if you'll have me, I'll give my life in service to you. This, this is how you become a Christian. It's coming to Christ with the humble faith of a child. And so the lesson of the Pharisee and the tax collector is, is simple. It's, it's pride versus humility. It's trusting your own righteousness versus trusting God's grace. And it shows us that we ought to be far more concerned with God's opinion of our lives than other people's. Uh, most people watching these two men at the temple would have been impressed with the Pharisee and would have uh, looked down on the tax collector. But as Jesus said, if you're trying to impress other people, yeah, you might accomplish that, but you're not going to impress God. The one went home justified rather than the other. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke 16, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Cut the charade, he says. It doesn't matter who you impress. doesn't matter if your family thinks you're a great person because you're a Christian. doesn't matter what anybody in this church thinks of you. None of that is really relevant. What matters truly is are you trying to justify yourself or have you humbly come to Christ for mercy and forgiveness? That is the difference between heaven and hell. Uh, going home justified or going home under the condemnation of God. And this is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus. You are a sinner. You cannot earn God's favor. But if you will repent and place your faith in him, not in yourself, he will forgive your sins and welcome you into his kingdom. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter anything in your past. No sinner is beyond his grace if you'll come to him in faith. When I was a boy, we used to sing a song at our church called uh, Rock of Ages. And I just want to read a couple of these verses. The second verse goes like this. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless come to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.